Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. We've titled our summer sermon series, I suppose capitalizing a little bit on being on campus here at UW-Madison, The Big Ten. And today we'll take a look at the first commandment. Last week we heard Jesus summarize the Ten Commandments in two statements, that love is the fulfillment of the law. Love for God and love for our neighbors. Today, in the first commandment, we think about our love for God. What's in your wallet? I'm going to guess that most of you recognize that question as an advertising slogan for a certain credit card company trying to tell you that that their card brings you more blessings, more rewards, because it's better than all the others, right? But it's not a bad question to ask ourselves, is it? Think about that question for a little bit. What's in your wallet? Or, or maybe for those of you that carry them, what's in your purse? I'm not sure, even though I trust every single one of you, I would pass my wallet around this morning for you to take a look at, to see what's inside of it. But it tells a lot of stories, doesn't it? Can't people learn an awful lot from what's inside our wallets, our purses? There's membership cards. I have one to Costco in here. The library, it's been a while. I have my quick trip card, of course. Other cards in here, a driver's license. You can learn, at least when I had that picture taken six or seven years ago, what my height and weight was at that time, right? Pictures of family we carry in our wallets and purses. People can learn an awful lot about us, right? What's important to us? What life is all about? What we think life is about. As we see Jesus' parable today and think about the first commandment, that's really what Jesus is addressing, isn't he? That question, what is life all about? And he gives us an example of what life is not about. It's not about what you can gather for yourself in this life, but it's about riches. Riches that will last far beyond our life in this world, all the way to an eternity with him. No wonder, no wonder God made the first commandment the one that he did. Because there is no other God who does what our God does. There's no other God who loves the way our God loves. So today, as we remind ourselves that that God is worthy of all honor and praise, let's think about those words from the first commandment. I actually put them on the board here if you'd like to take a look at them with me. The first commandment, you shall have no other gods. I should have you read this with me, shouldn't we? Let's back up and you can read it with me, okay? I'll stay the first commandment and then we'll join in after that. How about that? All right, the first commandment, you shall have no other gods. What does this mean? We should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. Is that ringing some bells with some of you? Is it taking you back a couple of years or maybe a lot of years? If you learned from Martin Luther his explanation to each of the commandments, those words, fearing, loving, and trusting God above all things, are the basis for what God is teaching us in the first commandment. So as we think about the first commandment today, I'd like to take a question from Jesus' parable and pose it to ourselves this morning. What What's in your barns? What's in your barns? And as we take a look at this parable, note first the danger of the rich man's thinking and then the joy of finding true riches in our God. 
Let's listen to Jesus tell the parable as he sets it up through the Gospel of Luke. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. One of the things that's important to think about as we think about Jesus' parables is the audience to whom he spoke them and the backdrop for why he spoke the parable. This one is pretty easy to see. Luke sets it up for us well. He tells us exactly what was going on. Someone in the crowd, as Jesus is teaching, and there were hundreds of people in this crowd, someone in that crowd said to Jesus, I'd like you to tell me or to tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. That was the request that led to Jesus' parable. I can tell you this, the, the way inheritances worked in Jesus' day might be a little bit different than they are in our culture. Generally speaking, the firstborn son would inherit the major share of the estate and that he would be responsible for sharing parts of that estate with his other brothers. And so we're not told exactly why this young man was asking Jesus for his share, but I think it's interesting that Jesus doesn't answer the question directly. Instead, Jesus simply says, this isn't my purpose. I didn't come to this earth to be a judge or arbitrator to decide what's right or what's wrong in earthly matters. It's amazing, isn't it, that Jesus never lost his focus when he came to this earth. He had one purpose in being here, to save you and me. But Jesus also didn't miss the opportunity. And he used this question as an occasion to teach, to teach a valuable lesson, an important truth that he could drive home to the people. And I suppose we could simply say this, before the parable ever begins, Jesus gives us the very first point of his lesson. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Have you ever heard this phrase, whoever has the most toys wins? I've heard people talk about that, that that's what this life is all about, gathering as many things for yourself as you can. And Jesus says, hold on, that's exactly what he's trying to warn us about. That's the warning that Jesus sends. He's warning about greed. He's warning about the very thing that the first commandment speaks of, elevating something in our hearts and in our lives beyond the position that God has. So today, as we think about this, the first truth I want you to take home with you is this. God may put up with certain things in the human heart, but second place is not one of them. That's what Jesus is teaching, isn't he, in this parable? That God wants to be first in your heart and life, that he's earned his place as first in your heart and life as your creator and your redeemer. And that anything else that tries to take God's place is really what Jesus is warning us against in this parable. Let's listen again to how Jesus tells the parable. The ground of a certain rich man yield an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? 
Maybe you learned a definition for parables somewhere along the lines. I've heard people say it this way. They are stories that we can relate to, earthly stories that have spiritual meanings, that have much deeper meanings than what they seem on the surface. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing with this story. It's pretty easy to understand, isn't it? A man experiences a bumper crop beyond what he could even have imagined. And I want you to think about this a little bit. Maybe just out of curiosity, how many of you have gardens at home? Raise your hand if you have gardens. Okay, quite a few of you. You might, you might understand this a little bit more. Any of you grew up on a farm or been involved in farming? Okay, we have a couple of those too. All right, here's the deal. I don't know that we can always appreciate without, without experiencing that, the patience that it takes to wait for the harvest. I can't imagine for farmers how many prayers are offered during the course of the growing season for rain. You think that's happening right now for our farmers as they're waiting for rain? Absolutely. They know how important it is to their crops. Praying that there won't be hailstorms, praying that there won't be blight or some kind of creature, insect that will come and ruin their harvest. Can you almost see this Rich man walking out to his fields, maybe not daily, but often looking, ooh, things are coming in pretty well. It's growing, could be a good harvest. But until the harvest is actually gathered, you can't count on anything. But then the harvest was gathered. And everything that he thought might happen, happened and then some. It was such a bumper crop that he did not have the barn space to store everything that had been harvested. And so he has to make plans. Plans to say, well, I guess I'll tear down my old barns and and build bigger ones and that's where I'll store everything. I think it's important to take a brief pause here. We'll just hit the pause button for a second to understand what Jesus is talking about and what he's not talking about in this parable. Jesus is not condemning riches. He is not saying it's wrong for human beings to have wealth. It's not wrong to experience God's blessings in this life. What he is condemning, what he is warning against is the attitude that we have toward those riches. Jesus is warning us not to elevate those riches to a place beyond God himself. Did you see that in the rich man? Maybe you caught his language as we walked through the parable how self-centered he was, how many times the word me, myself, I came up in his comments. You see, he wasn't about what those blessings were, where those blessings were from, but what they were able to provide for him. Here's something interesting. Depending on how you number the parables and what you call a parable and what you don't, there's somewhere between 40 and 60 parables in the Bible. In all of those parables, there is only one, only one in which which God directly speaks, and it's this one. God has words that sound pretty harsh, don't they, to this rich man? You fool, he says. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Let's talk a little bit about that word fool. It's not meant to be an insult. It's not like calling someone a name. When the Bible uses the word fool, it's demonstrating that someone is acting against better knowledge. You see, this man should have known better. He should have known the temporary nature of the things of this world. He should have known that nothing was going to last forever. And yet, he put all of his 
wealth into those barns and thought he was set for life. I want to tell you a little story that I read not too long ago to illustrate that as easy as it is to be critical of the rich man, we so easily fall into the same trap. This came from a book called Blessed Are the Misfits by an author named Brant Hansen. And he tells the story of his family pet cockatiel named Miko. Miko was a great pet, at least according to the author. Loved to sing, loved to talk. They would open the cage and the bird would fly around and land on shoulders of the family, the, the children. It was a great pet to them. And then one day, one day, Miko saw a green plastic egg not too far from his cage. And when they let him out of the cage, he went right to the plastic egg. And he became obsessed with that plastic egg. When they put him back in the cage, he began squawking and making noise and fluttering around until they would let him out so he could go right back to that egg again. It got so bad, the bird was so loud that they decided they would put the plastic egg in the cage with the bird. And Miko loved having his plastic egg in his cage. But he never left the cage. He stopped singing. He stopped talking. Everything about his life was fixated on something that was never going to do what he thought it was going to do. It was never going to hatch. Nothing was ever going to come from it, and yet his entire life had become that egg. You know what the family had to do? They ultimately had to take the egg away because it was the only way to get him to be a bird again. Well, the story about Miko isn't really all that important, is it? But doesn't it teach a spiritual truth? Isn't that exactly what our hearts do? Isn't that exactly how life in this world can go for us? Maybe it's not a green plastic egg that catches your eye. Maybe it's not even wealth or riches that catches your eye. But what about fixating on the promotion at work? What about fixating on the program that you're in in school, making sure that you get to the next step in your education? What about focusing on changing your appearance, making sure that you have everything that you want in this life? What about focusing on finding that significant other? Can't all of those things and so many more take the place of God in our hearts and lives? I'll let you fill in the blank for yourself. But I know how hard it is for me not to chase after the green plastic eggs of this life without realizing how empty those green plastic eggs are inside. That's what I want you to learn from the second truth today. Any desire of our hearts can become an idol. John Calvin famously said, the human heart is an idol factory. We can take anything, anything good that God has given us in this life and blow it out of proportion and make it something greater to us than what God intended it to be. You see, this is why the first commandment says, God first. Because God knows how easy it is for us to put other things first. But here's the amazing part. In spite of thinking like the rich man and the danger of that thinking, God wants today to provide you with joy. 
He wants you to provide you with joy in remembering that he is the one. He is the one that is your true fulfillment, your true riches. And that filling our barns with him and with the blessings that he brings, that's what really makes us rich. Listen how Jesus finished the parable. I suppose you could say this is point number two of the parable. Point one being a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Jesus says this to wrap up the parable. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. Jesus drives home the point with those words, doesn't he? Really, he's simply saying this. There's one person, one God, who should be above all else in our lives and that's the only God, our God. Jesus is simply reminding us to put no trust in the things of this world. They can't save. They will only leave us empty. But that true riches are found in him. Couldn't any one of us finish this sentence? My life would be so much better if... And then fill in the blank. And how many times do the things that fill in the blank have nothing to do with our God and the riches that he provides? See, Jesus is giving us an opportunity today to identify, to identify those things that we're filling our own hearts with, the barns of our own hearts, and recognize that we want to keep those from becoming more important in our life than God. They're only temporary. That was the lesson the rich man learned too, right? The blessings of this life won't last. And so, it's almost funny, isn't it? That we put so much stock in riches that won't last. How can they be called riches if they'll go away? And so Jesus reminds us that life is about so much more than the here and now. So much more than what we can see and touch. And Jesus wants you to see your ultimate blessing in him. I want to talk a little bit about that phrase, is not rich toward God. It's not a bad translation, but it doesn't capture really the sense of what's happening. I'm going to guess that when you heard that, is not rich toward God, the first thing you thought is, oh, pastor's going to be talking to us about giving our money to church. It's not really what it's about. That's not the sense of what Jesus is teaching. All right, there's one translation that I love that takes a little bit of liberties with the Greek, but it simply says this. That's what will happen when your barns are filled with self and not with God. You see, that captures the thought of what Jesus is saying. When we fill our hearts and lives with things other than God, we're going to come up short. We aren't going to have the riches that God wants us to have. You see, the things of this life have a tendency to blind us. They cloud our vision to what makes us truly wealthy, truly rich. Your treasure, my treasure, it's found in only one place. It's found in Jesus. Will you consider God's amazing grace with me this morning? I can tell you as I wrote this sermon this week, I felt pretty guilty because I realized how many times in my life I've given things first place in my heart other than God. But as I wrote, it made me all the more amazed at God's grace. This is the God who still loves me. This is the God who still loves you. And you know how he showed it? He sent Jesus. He sent Jesus to come to this earth, to honor his Father's will, to put his Father first in every step of his life. Isn't that amazing? Jesus never once failed to keep focused on the mission that God sent him to do. He never failed to fear, love, and trust a God in God above all things. 
and he did that for you. But he didn't stop there. That same Jesus, he took all of our sins of idolatry, all of the little plastic green eggs that we run after, all of the things that we fill our barns with, and Jesus took those to the cross. And on the cross, he paid. He paid in full for your sins and mine. They're gone, forgiven. We're heirs of life with God forever. That's why God is feared, loved, and trusted above all things. That's why Jesus wants us to set apart first place in our hearts for God because there is no one else like him. And Jesus knows this, that where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. Final truth I want you to take from our sermon today. Jesus opens our eyes to see that what we have in him is greater, greater than what we have. There's no comparison. What we have in Jesus is riches beyond anything that we can imagine as we will have eternity with him forever. Some takeaways from our first commandment sermon today. Number one, the first commandment gives God his rightful place first in our hearts and lives. Our creator, our redeemer, the one who loves us in spite of sin, that's the one who deserves first place in our life. Number two, the first commandment warns us against the idols we have created in our hearts. Jesus simply wants us to identify. Do you have some blind spots in your life? Some things that maybe have become so important that you're wondering if God even loves you anymore? Remember that he does. And that's number three. Jesus obeyed the first commandment and died to erase our sins against it. Those are real riches. Riches that will last forever. You know the phrase, we heard it in our reading earlier in 1 Timothy chapter 6, that, that you can't take it with you, right? There's nothing in this life that you're going to be able to take to eternity with you. It's the rich man's lesson. He learned that pretty quickly, didn't he? Storing up all of those things in his barns, ready to take life easy, and he had mere hours to enjoy those blessings. The things of this world are temporary. Someone famously once said, that's why they don't make hearses with trailer hitches. You get the point. But you know what? There is something you can take with you. There's something you can take with you and you will take with you that will be a blessing forever. The rich, the riches of Jesus, of his death, of his resurrection, that will be yours forever in eternity. That's what you'll experience in full. The joy of knowing a savior from sin, the joy of seeing our God face to face. Find comfort in that. Take your joy, take your fulfillment from Jesus and fill your barns with his love. Amen. Peace of God which passes all understanding will guard and keep your hearts and minds. In Christ Jesus, amen.